I am freshly back from the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention. It was almost controversy-free, but I have some thoughts from that trip. Taylor Swift is starting to get starting to get political. There's going to be that and a lot more on today's Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be a really full prep sheet for you today with lots to get to, so I'm going to waste no time. Let me introduce myself. My name is Corey Truax. I'll be your host for the show, which works out well, because that is the name of the show, is the Corey Truax Show. Among many other things, I am the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church in Greenville, South Carolina. Beachwood Church meets in Greenville at 1030 on Sunday mornings. You are cordially invited to join us there. And here on the Corey Truax Show, we are dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk about everything. And today will be a show about everything. One final note, if you listen to the 50 minutes that is this show, or if you listen on Saturday mornings on 92.9 FM on WLFJ, and you get to the end of that 60 minutes and you think, man, I could use more of that guy. He sure is fun. Well, I have good news for you. There is a second show of mine. It is called South Carolina Connections. It is from the Palmetto Family Podcast Network. You can find that podcast wherever you find podcasts, and I certainly hope that you will. I would be honored if you would. Here's several things I want to try to get to today. I have one topic from the Southern Baptist Convention we're going to start with. I have a great idea on healthcare I want to get to. Someone has showed me a very, by someone, I mean my big brother, who I admire greatly and had a good time with in Birmingham. He showed me a very funny trick that I think we're going to enjoy. Oh man, I think you're going to enjoy it when we get to that. I had a listener who will remain nameless, who is part of the armed forces, send me a story I want to try to get to regarding religious liberty, I think is the best way to say that, for Christian members of the military. I have a couple ser- I mean, I'm doing preaching the entire month of June, and one of those sermons, I think, has an application point I want to give you. I have some thought on gay pride parades and Taylor Swift and her new album, and actually a couple other things on the prep sheet. I doubt we're going to get to all of them, but if we don't get started right now, we're not going to have any time to do much of that at all. So here we go. The last two Southern Baptist Convention annual meetings I went to included some controversy. The one in Phoenix two years ago, there was a lot going on in the social justice and racism world and some protesters involved in those things. That There was controversy and there was even people at the convention trying to defund the political arm of the Southern Baptist Convention because those folks thought that the political arm of the SBC was going liberal. And those folks were ridiculous people. Uh, they, there's Russell Moore haters and uh, it didn't work out, but there was controversy. And last year, there was Mike Pence being invited, and there was a movement at the Southern Baptist Convention to disinvite him because we didn't want to muddy the waters between politics and the kingdom of God. And there was a lot of rancor, and Twitter was mean, and there was all kinds of stuff going on. This convention, it's kind of chill. Not a, not a ton of controversy. It was actually really nice to have unity in the body of believers that was meeting there in Birmingham for the Southern Baptist Convention. But there was one point of contention. It is starting to grow in the Southern Baptist Convention. And so I want to go ahead and equip you, the listener, with two things. My position, and if you agree with my position, you will be equipped to then articulate it yourself. That's the two things I want to give you. My position on this issue, and I want you to be able, if you agree with me, to be able to speak clearly to the issue. And here it is. We're having to refight the battle regarding what gender roles 
uh, regarding the gender roles in churches. The traditional, and I believe biblical, mandate regarding gender roles in the church is that there are lots of places of honor in which women serve. There is one place that the scriptures have been, this position has been reserved to men, and that is the role of pastor or elder, as you might read it in some translations. One of the issues we're running into in the Southern Baptist Convention is that there are churches and Southern Baptist people, like Beth Moore, for example, who are going to churches and preaching. They are opening the scripture and they are preaching on Sunday morning to the gathered body of believers. And the argument from those churches and people like Beth Moore is they say, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a preacher, I am operating under the authority of the the pastor or preacher of this church, and so we're not breaking any scriptural uh, scriptural mandates here. I'm not actually serving as the role of pastor or preacher. I am functioning one of the functions of pastor and preacher. That's what I am doing. There is the big mega church here in South Carolina that I just, I just won't name because I don't want to throw any shade at them. But that's that's how they go about this. I love. I do actually do love that church. They uh, where they are right now in comparison to where they were four or five years ago. It's fundamentally different, and we should all be encouraged that a church that is that large and has that much influence is becoming more theologically sound and serious, that all of that is really good, and I mean that. I'm deeply encouraged by the big mega church in South Carolina in the direction it's going. But one of the things they do, it's one of the reasons I can never be a part of them, is they have a, a young woman about my age, probably a little younger than I am, she preaches regularly. And they don't call her an elder. They don't call her a pastor. What they say is, well, she is, she is serving the function of preaching, and she's doing that under the authority of the actual elders. And this is, I think, a semantic game. And it's it's one that the Southern Baptist Convention is now having to refight because there are, there are those who are straight up trying to say women and men can both have the uh, have the role of pastor and preacher. So I want to do. What I did a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the rapture, I actually went to the scripture. I actually have my ESV in front of me again, and I am going to now read to you from 1 Timothy chapter 2, and this is regarding roles in the church and gender roles. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, verse 12, Here's a really clear sentence. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. And then he gives a reason in verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And so you have a uh, an argument from Paul writing to Timothy that is linked back to creation itself. That the image of God is on both men and women, but the authority in the church, the the image of authority on mankind in the church is given to men. Moreover, when you get to the uh, the qualifications for overseers, the qualifications for pastors, that is also in First Timothy. If I if I believe, excuse me, if I remember correctly, uh, yes, yeah, First Timothy chapter three. I'm almost positive where it says, you know, if anyone aspires to be an overseer, an elder. Uh, a, a, pa- a pastor or leader. 
It starts giving off a bunch of uh, requirements like they have to be above reproach or hospitable, self-controlled, sober-minded, able to teach, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. I'm working off the top of my head here, so my apologies if I'm missing any. So it gives all of these requirements to be a pastor or leader. And, but you know what the first word is? It's if anyone desires that office, he desires an, a noble task. And all of the pronouns, it's, it's, about, it's about a man. The assumption is... The person that's looking for that office is, it's a man, a husband of one wife, uh, and then, uh, or really more accurately translated, a one-woman man. Uh, and then also for the qualifications for elders, it's in Titus. I marked this one as well. Um, and again, it, all the language is about how to appoint male elders. So my point here being, the scripture has been clear for a long time uh, that th- that role, not because w- women cannot it's not that they can't be good at teaching uh, or, or even be accurate in how they handle the Bible. Uh, this, is a script, this, is, this is a scriptural position that says something about the image of God. It is the, the good order God has set up. It's a delightful order that he set up. And when you have folks that are compromising on that, what it, more important than actually woman playing the role of pastor is what you're doing to the scripture. That's the actual issue here. The issue is, I don't believe you're taking the Bible seriously enough. It is the, the Bible, the scripture, is the adjudicator of what we do in church. This is the order God has set up that the function and role of pastor and preacher has been reserved to men from the scriptures that I just read to you and also from the order of the order of the creation in Genesis and also the pattern of all of scripture. So one other quick note on this, and I'm going to move on. There's a place for a woman to teach. What what uh, is prohibited here in Timothy is to take authority over a man. So young boys and girls, women teaching young boys and girls, the Bible would encourage that. A, a woman teaching other women, you can encourage that. In a small group setting where everyone is discussing the Scripture, women should speak up. Absolutely should. In even a church setting, some denominations would not say this, but we have women pray in public at at Beechwood Church because there's not a, a clear prohibition for that. But there is a clear prohibition for taking the office and function of pastor and preacher by, right there in Timothy. And so at the convention, there was a resolution. This is the only piece of controversy. There was a resolution to, uh, to clarify the Baptist position because right now the Baptist faith and message, the actual doctrinal document, says that we reserve as Scripture indicates, the office of elder or pastor to men. And there was a resolution to include the language, the, uh, the office and function of preacher and pastor to men. That's a good resolution. It takes a year or two to go through all the processes to be able to change the doctrinal statement, but I am in full support of it. Uh, there was a little pushback on Twitter regarding it, uh, but I, I would just say this to those who oppose it. This isn't ultimately about what what women are capable of or the honor bestowed upon women. I mean, the actual position of complementarianism is summed up by saying, we believe that men and women are made equally in the image of God with equal honor in the world. And along with being created in equal honor are created with distinctions. They are distinct in role in the household and in the church. Men and women have distinct roles to play. So it's not a discussion about who's capable 
or about honor. It's just a discussion about the Word of God. It's a discussion about the Scripture. The Scripture has laid out an order, and our greatest desire, if it's to please God, would be to be faithful to the instructions He has given us for His church. And so the ultimate issue, the core issue is, are we going to be faithful to the Scripture God has given us? So there you go. That was the one thing from the convention. Otherwise, uh, the convention did a great job of uh, something we've, we've had to deal with, some sexual abuse issues in the last couple of years. I'm proud. I'm proud of how J.D. Greer, Russell Moore, the leadership is embracing the reality, not hiding from it, not trying to minimize it. You can actually go out and find it on the website if you want of sbc.net. Uh, it's a handbook called Becoming a Church That Cares Well for the Abused. And there's there was even some action taken in terms of what ch- uh, churches who are handling sexual abuse claims poorly being sh- straight up excommunicated from the Southern Baptist Convention so that people can know, hey, here's a church out there that did not handle this thing well. Uh, and so beyond this controversy around roles of women, it was actually a really encouraging time for the largest Christian denomination in the United States of America. And there's my report from Birmingham. When we come back, I have a cool healthcare idea I want to give you, and also a very funny trick my big brother taught that I think we're going to have a good, he taught me, that I think we're going to have a fun time with. So come back for the rest of the Corey Act Show. Hi there. Welcome back to the Corey Act Show. Connect to the show at your convenience on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Lots of fun happening over there on Instagram as more of you follow along. And if you would be so kind, I mean it, I need to slow down because I want you to hear what I'm saying. The best ambassador for this show is not me. It's actually you. There are some people in your life that trust you. Maybe some of you have a bunch of people. Maybe one of you has like two people that trust you. But they trust your taste And uh, I would highly appreciate if you would be an ambassador for the show and say, hey, there's a guy out there, talks too fast sometimes. He'll say things that make you very happy. And in the next two or three minutes, he'll say something that makes you really mad. It's a lot of fun. It's an emotional roller coaster every time you turn on the show. That's maybe a terrible advertisement for this show. Uh, But nevertheless, would you tell someone about it and bring them along for the fun? Now, what I have for you next is a trick I wish I would have learned a long time ago because it just makes podcasting so much more fun. And I think I might even make my podcast a lot more fun for you right now. My big brother taught me something I knew existed, but I did not know its effect. When you put a podcast on a .5 times, if you don't know what I mean, most of your podcasting apps have the effect where you can either speed it up, which never speed me up, by the way. I, that's You will not understand a word I say if you speed me up. It's already so fast. But you can also slow down the podcast and listen to it at half time or listen to it at double time or 1.5 time. And especially uh, people like me that are hardcore listeners, like I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of books. I will do that. I will speed up the, uh, the play rate so that I can get through more podcasts or get through more books. But when you listen to somebody on half time, they sound horribly drunk. And so I had a good laugh at this, and we're going to laugh at my own expense. If you, I'm really bad at it. Like my show on halftime, I sound inebriated in the worst of ways. So I went back and found an episode where I was talking about movies. And just let's just have fun for a moment, just a few minutes. 
listening to me on half time. Do that is into that fantasy world of of these superhero movies. Anyway, I saw it and it was awesome. I highly recommend it if you have not seen it. I won't do any spoilers here. Uh, but I told you several stories here in the first segment that I just wanted to make sure we got to. So Avengers Endgame breaks every record, sets the records. If anything can beat it, it'll be Star Wars. <laughs> it'll be Star Wars. Uh, just, I, I learned it from my big brother. I enjoy it. If you ever want to get a good laugh, pick a podcast by, by me or someone else. And listen to it on halftime. It's hilarious. We all sound terribly drunk. Okay, next up. Uh, I have a healthcare idea. I've been into healthcare policy a long time. I wrote one of my senior papers in college all those years ago on healthcare policy, where I did some comparing and contrasting of the world's healthcare systems. You know, I think I have a, a unique perspective on this uh, in that it's not the traditionally purely conservative one. Uh, for, here's, here's what I mean by that. I do look out at socialized medicine and single-payer systems in Canada, in Britain, in Germany. And even between those three systems, by the way, there's significant differences in how they're set up and organized. And I don't like them. Uh, I, think they're in a, they are, I don't think they're inefficient. They are inefficient. Uh, it allows too much bureaucracy for major medical decisions. They don't really bring down costs all that much. Access to health care is still very limited because of the wait times. Uh, they're losing doctors uh, too quickly in Canada and Britain and Germany uh, because it becomes less uh, less lucrative for people. But then I look at my system in the United States and how convoluted it is. And uh, you, you get employers who band together all their hundreds of employees and go to an insurance company. And so human resources people have negotiations with insurance adjusters who then have, who have negotiations with hospitals and then pools of doctors and specialists. And the, the one thing we never have is the person who is the patient just dealing with the doctor or the specialist. Like, we've got layers of corporations and companies and regulators in between the patient and the doctor, which is one of the reasons our system is so jacked up and dumb. And so I look at the socialized medicine and know, well, that's terrible. That's not, that's not good. Now, our system is better, but it has its own problems. Uh, the systems I've actually liked that I've looked around the world for Places like Japan probably has a system I prefer over ours. Uh, but there's not a lot of good healthcare systems. Uh, and so anyway, I've been thinking about this for a long time, but a new idea hit me here recently that almost makes me want to run for Congress just to... to I'm not going to do that, by the way. Don't, don't freak out or panic. I'm not going to do anything stupid and run for Congress. But uh, just to get this idea out here. So I had this experience here recently. Uh, my, my employer, one of the things that they do is you get your contract renewal every year. So every year, uh, you know, you can decide to quit if you want, or and they get to decide every year if they want to renew you. Uh, and so I got my contract renewal, and I was going through all the numbers, and I found that my primary employer was showing me the line item of what they're going to spend for the year on me for health insurance. When you add up all the premiums they're going to pay for me to have health insurance, it was $8,500 for the year. As a single person, that, is an, that does not insure any kids or wife or anything. It's just me. That's what my employer is going to spend, 
let's make the assumption that that is what they're going to pay for the like all of the employees for the year. Uh, and my place has something like 400 employees. Uh, so we're talking about spending $3.4 million. I'm, again, doing, is that right? Three and a half mil? Uh, I'm trying to do math in my head. It's $3 million and something. Three, let's call it $3 million is what they're going to spend for the year on health insurance, assuming my numbers are right. Uh, $8,500 for every individual, uh, and we have like 400 people. It occurs to me that uh, unless something catastrophic happens, which has not happened, by the way, in my uh, my adult life, or actually my entire life, nothing physically catastrophic, there's no way I'm going to use $8,500 worth of healthcare this year. I will spend about 600 and some odd bucks for the year on my contact lenses, and because I take decent care of myself and uh, you know, I make de- decent decisions, I don't get sick. It's very rare that I'm sick. And even when I am, I don't really use doctors. I have my own doctor I like, Shane Purcell down in Anderson, and he's I love his system. It's just, he, I actually love this. They have a price board. Like when you're going to a restaurant and you can look up and see what each item costs, you can walk into their doctor's office and look up and see what each thing costs. And so I, I love the transparency of that and how that works. Uh, and so there's just no way my employer is going to spend, they're going to spend $8,500 to have me, to for me to have health insurance, but I will not use it. And that $8,500 is going to go to, I guess, into the pool and help my fellow employees. But this is a system I think we're all running into. M- maybe for some of you, you go, man, I am so grateful for my employer health insurance because, man, they might be paying this premium of $8,500, but I know because of the medicine we're on or because of this situation in your family or that situation, you know that you're using more than the premium. Like you're, you're benefiting a great deal. And so I understand that there's that situation, but there's a lot of people like me who the company is paying more than they need to pay. And I am, uh, because they're paying so much for health insurance, a lot of employees see less pay increase because all the uh, income increases pay increases are going to health insurance premiums. And so the companies are essentially saying, well, you are getting a raise. We're just having to give it to the health insurance companies because all of your raise is going to them because they raise their rates. So here's my idea. We'll use me as the example. What if the law was written so that the university could say, that your employer, the company could say, here's $8,500. You have to get health insurance. Your budget for the year is 8500 Go get your own. You shop around. So now we have a world, we have a nationwide market, not HR professionals negotiating with insurance or human resources professionals negotiating with insurance companies, but individuals going out into the marketplace looking for their own health insurance policies, which that's how we do everything else. We don't join people in big groups for anything else but health insurance. It will make the market more competitive. You'll have little niche companies pop up for very specific situations for health insurance, but to make sure there's incentives everywhere, the company says, here's your $8,500, go get the health insurance you want for you and your family. Anything you spend for the year less than $8,500 will split with you. So if you go find a policy for the year, and I know I could, I could find a policy for the year for $2,000. Let's say $2,500 for ease of math. So I go find a health insurance policy for me for $2,500 for the year, I was given eighty five hundred. Now there's six grand. Well, the university, because I work at a university, or, the, or let's say the employer, you get to keep three grand, and I get to keep three grand. You give that incentive out. 
you start to have incentives for people actually being careful about how much healthcare they use and uh, what kind of health insurance they get, and we all turn into better consumers. This is something I, I mean, I actually do think I'm going to write to my own congressman about this just to get the idea out there. What if we change the incentives in the health insurance world to to something like that, where we become actual customers, and that also fix one of the issues we're having as an economy, where wages are so stagnant. There's a great deal of growth in the economy. Stock market's doing really well. International trade is going quite well. But in, in employment is really healthy, but wages are growing slower than they, they ever have, and they're not keeping up with all this other growth. One of the ways we can do that is stop letting all of our raises go to our health insurance and allow those health insurance dollars to be empowered individually and let some of that those dollars trickle back into all of our incomes. So it's a health care idea I have. If you have a response to that or if you think it wouldn't work or you have other ideas like that, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Show at gmail.com. Show at gmail.com. Let me know uh, what you think about what I think. And then also the Anchor app. You can use the Anchor app to leave a voicemail so that you can tell me uh, your ideas or how you consider my idea on healthcare there. All right, what can we do in this? Uh, let's go here next. I'm working through the book of Mark with my church, Beachwood Church. And here recently, I was in Mark chapter 2, where Jesus calls Matthew, Levi, as he's called in some translations, he calls Matthew this real reject. Uh, if he, were, he was a tax collector, and the way the Romans ran tax collection is that they would get a local. So you didn't, they didn't send a Roman official from Rome out to Capernaum or out to Galilee. They would find someone in Capernaum or Galilee to be the tax collectors. And the way you got those jobs is usually corruption. You, you were telling the Romans, if you let me be your tax collector, I will be so good at it that I'll make sure I get a little extra for you guys, the local Romans, and I'll keep a little extra for myself, but I will be your best tax collector. I'll make sure I get every dime out of these people. And so it was a corrupt system. That's what Matthew was in. And when you are a tax collector in that, in that, uh, in that culture, you're seen as a traitor. Uh, you know, here's these, uh, these occupying Roman forces, and you've joined forces with them, taking our money, and so he, he was even forbidden from going to the synagogue, so he had no spiritual life, and culturally he was isolated. Like, here's Matthew, he's a real cast-off, he's a real outsider, and Jesus calls him and says, come, you know, come follow me. So that was revolutionary of itself, but the next scene is Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees being scandalized by it. Well, how dare you break our rules? How dare you... As a, you're, you call yourself a rabbi, but the rules that we wrote down, this is very important, it was the rules the Pharisees wrote down. It wasn't in the law. It wasn't in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy. It wasn't in the law or the prophets that a rabbi can't eat with tax collectors and sinners. This was just a rule the Pharisees made up, and they're scandalized. They're saying, you're, you're a rabbi, but you're breaking all of our rules. How dare you break our rules we made up? And so you come away from that passage, and this is what we talked about at Beachwood. You come away from that passage with two extremes, I think, that have really affected American Christianity, especially in the South or in rural and small-town situations. You have, you have this, uh, something I've seen lately inside Christianity, where Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners 
has been used as a justification for some people to do whatever they want. So you, you challenge a person uh, on, hey, maybe you shouldn't go to that bar or that nightclub. Maybe this relationship you're in or the friendships you're keeping with these kinds of people aren't helpful because they're having more of an effect on you than you're having on them. Maybe the movie you're seeing or maybe the, the liberty you're taking and how you use alcohol or in how you use your liberty in Christ, maybe you're, you're going too far. And the response being, well, Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. We saw this a little bit in the justification of the last election. It was, you know, maybe we as Christians shouldn't be so associated with such a pagan, evil person. And some of the responses was, well, Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. And so you have this one, one extreme that says, because Jesus had meals with sinners, we can do whatever we want. And it's a misapplication of the passage where Jesus, actually, interestingly, uh, he says to Matthew, the tax collector who was in the tax booth, he did say, come follow me. You're not going to be a tax collector anymore. You're going to come out of that corrupt system. And when the Pharisees challenged Jesus on eating with the sinners, Jesus says, well, I didn't come to call the righteous. You know, you, you guys don't even need a physician. I came to call those who are sinners. And so there's Jesus actually calling them sinners, and they're sitting at the table with them. And then Jesus' actual message the theme of his early ministry is repent and believe, repent and believe. Turn from your, your wicked ways and believe. And so uh, on this one extreme, you have a bunch of people who say, we can do whatever we want, I can do whatever I want, because Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners, and that was not Jesus' purpose, was not to give you total liberty to do whatever you want. You actually are still called to holiness and repentance and faith. But then there is the other side. There are the other side, I, I grew up in the system, of Pharisees where people made stuff up. They're, it's not in Scripture. It's a twisting of Scripture often. But they made up rules. And if you don't follow the rules, then you're not in the club. I'll get very practical for you. Guys, if you've got ear, uh, piercings in your ears, you will, you're not in the club. You're not in the Christian club. Now, is there any Bible for that? No. I mean, you can go grab some, uh, some stuff in the law that has nothing to do with whether or not men in 2019 in America uh, can have piercings in their ears. It has to do with separating yourself from pagans and the signs of what gods you worship. You can go try to misapply that Bible, which is a dangerous thing to use the Word of God for your own agenda. But, yeah, you can try to twist some scripture, but that's just a southern thing some Baptists came up with and, some, and also some other denominations. Men, if you've got piercings in your ear, you're out. Oh, you're, you have tattoos? Well, you're, you're out because you, we, made up a, we made up a rule. You can't have tattoos. Men, you have long hair? Well, we made up a rule. You don't get to be in our club now because you're not following our rules. Ladies, you're wearing pants and not skirts? Well, you're not in. And you have too much makeup on? Then you're not in either. There was a bunch of rules that got made up that don't have their foundation in the Bible and Scripture. But then those standards about what people wear and their appearance and what movies they go to and what they might what they might drink, and it's standards that men made up, and they place those standards on top of the Bible as if those standards should have the same weight of Scripture itself. And Jesus was saying to both groups uh, at different levels, repent and believe. So he would say to the Pharisees, yeah, you've made up all kinds of great rules. Awesome. I'm so proud of your rules. You know that's like filthy rags, though. Your righteousness is like filthy rags. 
you've made up rules, but they're not even in the Scripture. And, and so the call is equally to, to both people. And that's why I wanted to talk about it on the show, because I think for the American Christian, and most of my listeners come from a Christian perspective, all of us have a little bit of Pharisee in us, and a lot of us have a little bit of tax collector and sinner in us, where we decide, uh, I have total liberty to do whatever I want, and so we go, too, we go too far in using that liberty. But also all of us, including me, have our own Pharisee situations, where we say, uh, well, they don't raise their kids like I do, and they have a different opinion on vaccines, or what they feed their kids, or what kind of movies they see, or how they spend their money, and I have a different opinion, and mine's better, and so I'm a more holy than they are. So all of us have a little bit of that in us. So whether you are the, the sinners at the table, or you're, at the, you're the Pharisee that's upset people aren't following your standards, I just wanted to bring that piece of the sermon to you, to say to both groups, to, to me too, the actual call is repent and believe. Repent of your sin and follow Christ or repent of your righteousness. Repent of you feeling so superior that you're just nailing it and no one else is. Repent of that and follow after Jesus as well. And if you want more uh, sermon content like that, you can get it. Uh, you can do that at Beachwood Church Sunday mornings. If you already have a church home, stick with that place. Uh, but if you don't have a church home, you're invited cordially to Beachwood Church Sunday mornings, 1030 in Greenville. When we come back, I have a story from someone who's a listener, also in the military, who's got a, a story I want to talk about. Plus, Taylor Swift's new album can teach us some things, or at least we need to learn some things about what she's trying to say. We have a lot to do when you come back for the rest of the Corey Act show. Welcome back for the final segment of the Corey Truax Show. I am glad you are here. And if you stuck around this long, I suspect you're glad that you stayed. Here's where I want to begin for our final segment today. I got a Facebook message from a listener who will remain nameless because he or she wants to remain be he wants to remain nameless uh, because that person is in the armed forces. And there's all kinds of consequences to saying things when you are in the armed forces. I actually have another friend who works for the federal government in another capacity, and that person has said something similar to me, that, hey, things that I send you or text you, like, you can't ever say my name because I work for the federal government. I, there's all kinds of rules of what I can and can't say. And so uh, I will leave the person's, person's name out, but let me give you the story that connects it all. From Fox, Carolina, so that's the local Fox affiliate in South in, in Greenville, in the upstate of South Carolina. They published a story from CNN. I will give you the first paragraph. The U.S. Air Force granted a religious accommodation to a Sikh airman to allow him to wear a turban, a beard, unshorn hair while serving, making him the first active-duty airman to receive such an accommodation. This happened, it looks like, on June the 8th. Okay. So if you don't know about Sikhs, well, I think in the United States of America, unfortunately, they get miscategorized as Muslim because some of the look is similar, uh, but it is wearing a turban to cover the hair. The hair is uncut. There is a beard. And obviously all of that for a man in the Air Force would not be okay. You're going to have to wear the hair short. you got to have no hat on in most situations, and there's not going to be a beard for the uh, for the airmen. Now, that uh, Sikh wanted a religious accommodation. I I want to be able to follow my religion. My religion says I need the hair the hair piece, the hair to have uh, to be long, and also the beard. And I also want to be in the air force. Can I get an accommodation? 
let me say that I don't oppose his accommodation. Some of you might. You might say, nope, we're not going to do that because I don't know what your reasoning is. But I, I don't oppose him getting a religious accommodation. I can't imagine how it would affect negatively the armed forces for him to be able to be a faithful Sikh and a member of the Air Force. The problem is I know that standard is not applied equally. This person that wrote to me made clear that people that have, this is a person who has witnessed it, maybe happened to themselves, him or herself as well, when they want to wear a, a, a cross somewhere on their body, or they want to wear a WWJD bracelet, in, in some way show their faith. Now, it may not be a requirement of their faith, but in some way want to indicate to the world around them through what they wear a, a Christian symbol. And they're given no accommodation. They're given no consideration for what it is they want there. It's at least worth paying attention to that that's a, a world in which we're living. I would like to see the military adopt a more accommodating position when it comes to all religions. So to the Sikh, to the Muslim, to the Jew, but also to the Christian. And right now, as with a lot of parts of culture, there's this weird reality where the one group that you can exclude, the one group you can tell no to and everyone else is being told yes, the one group that you can discriminate against is the Christians. You're allowed to do that. And so I appreciate this listener and good friend for bringing it up. That's a thing that we should concern ourselves with. I don't mind the seek, and I don't think any of us should mind the seek getting the accommodation, but it needs to be a universally applied principle. Next, we're in LGBT Pride Month, apparently. Uh, we've not exactly celebrated that on the Corey Truax Show, and we won't be. And there was a guy in Massachusetts who, in response to the gay pride parades that were happening, wanted to do a straight pride parade. And so uh, there was a lot of pushback, and he was called a bigot for wanting to have a straight pride parade. I don't particularly think it's a great idea. Um, and I was, obviously he's just trying to make a point. He doesn't actually want the parade. Uh, but I, it did bring up some thoughts for me, and I had one person in my personal life, hey, you know, what do you think about this? So uh, a couple thoughts. Parades. First, parades are dumb. All of them are. Uh, Macy's Thanksgiving Day, uh, all the Christmas parade, like parades are weird. Um, not a huge fan. I, I had a joke there. I, I, should, I probably shouldn't tell it. I'm gonna hold it back. Um, okay, so parades, not a big fan. But second, a parade is the, I, I guess the the celebration of something. But when you when you read the commentary or you read the or you, or you see the the signs that are being marched down the street in a gay pride parade or if you go out west coast and you see some of these gay pride parades in San Francisco or Seattle some of the uh perverted things you can see it seems like it's not supposed to be a celebration at all it's actually like a protest gay pride parades and actually when they came around they were protest it was supposed to be protesting the whatever the, the power structures or the religious people, it was a protest. So parades aren't protests, but they were parading. Oh, check that out. That's good broadcasting. The parades were pr parading as, or the, they were protests that were parading as parades. And, and we're at a spot now culturally that if you're LGBT, what are you, pro what are you protesting? 
We're talking about a group of people who, uh, a subset of people who make up less than 10% of the country, maybe as little as 4 or 5% of the country. When you watch TV, like 33% of the characters on TV represent you. There is universal acceptance now in the law when it comes to gay marriage. Like, what are you protesting? You won. We had a culture war, and you won. It's time to stop protesting. And then moreover, so if, if, that's, if that's over now, and there's nothing else to protest, you should not be upset with anyone who wants a straight pride parade. I don't think either set of parades make any sense. But it, it, culturally, LGBTism, totally normal now, totally accepted. And so if now if you're just parading around to make sure everyone knows what type of genitalia you find attractive, if a gay, if a straight dude and some straight ladies want to get together and also have a parade over what they find attractive sexually, all right, I don't know why you guys want to parade that. It's kind of weird. I think it's odd behavior to share with the world. Nevertheless, it shouldn't be upsetting to you. So, parade, gay pride parades. Yeah, they're a terrible idea. Straight pride parades, also a terrible idea. We shouldn't have parades for sexual attraction. It's weird. And I'll take that a little farther. We should stop having parades. They're not a good way. They're not a good use of time. Uh, next up. Uh, I was getting pretty excited. Because I will admit, maybe I shouldn't admit, I lose man points or something. I'm a fan of Taylor Swift. I love her music. I think she's creative, uh, especially lyrically. She is an incredible turn of phrase. She's the the strongest turn of phrase in her uh, in her generation, maybe the last 50 years, maybe 100 years. And if you just think of her as like a teeny bopper, wannabe star, I think you are mistaken. Uh, go listen to the music and some of the cl- uh, some of the cleverness that comes through her uh, lyrics. It really is impressive. And she started teasing out that she was getting a new uh, a new album. She put out a new single about a month ago, and now there's another new single that came out this week. This single is called "You Need to Calm Down," and I, because this show broadcasts on WLFJ, there's all kinds of rules about what you can play on terrestrial radio and having to pay people for that. So I, I'm not going to play the song, but it is her, in my estimation her first real song of making a social statement. Uh, and I have a I have a good friend who disagrees with me and says that she's been making social statements for a long time. Maybe I just missed it. But this is her very clearly uh, a second verse where she visualizes someone holding up a sign, like an anti, anti-gay person sign, and the punchline of the, of the second verse is uh, throwing shade, which means to insult. Uh, throwing shade never made anyone less gay. Uh, and there is, it's just a really big LGBT affirming song. That's its point. And it was disappointing to me because she's been such a unifying artist in that she knows her role. She's been a great businesswoman. She knows that people who are traditional also buy music. This is uh, what Michael Jordan, I think, said this once um, because he was being asked about some racial issues. And uh, Michael Jordan said, Republicans buy shoes too. And Jordan's point was, I also want to sell my shoes to people who might disagree with me. So I'm just going to shut up and sell my shoes. And Taylor Swift seemed to have that thought for a long time. People on every side buy music. So I'm not picking any sides. I'm just going to sell music and roll in the money. 
even in the 2016 election, she was interviewed on NPR, and they were trying so hard to get Taylor Swift to say, go vote for Hillary Clinton, and she wouldn't do it. She just said she wasn't going to get involved in those things. And now she's getting heavily involved in these things. There is also rumor that she's about to make some announcement about her own sexuality, that she might be not just a straight white woman. I don't know if that's going to take place. But either way, it's probably something to take uh, note of because Taylor Swift is the highest sold or highest bought uh, artist of the last 10 years. Only Beyonce gets close. Carrie Underwood and um, who else? It's uh, Katy Perry is somewhat close in there still. It's a uh, And not like Rihanna's right in there with them too. It's funny for all of the talk of oppression of women, like the top four or five selling artists in pop music the last 10 years are all women. And individual artists at that, not even bands of women. And so you have Swift out here who's about to get political, and I think alienate a lot of her audience. Like, for, I, I bought everything she's ever put out, and I won't buy this album. I just, I don't want to affirm that. I'm, the, uh, it's just, I, I'm, I'm consistent on this too. I just don't care what artists think, and I don't think we should. Uh, so I don't care what Taylor Swift thinks, but I also don't, for example, I don't care what Tim Tebow thinks. I don't care what the guys from Duck Dynasty think. Because you're famous, I don't care to listen to you. Just because you're famous doesn't mean you know anything. And so uh, Taylor Swift is another long, in the long line of left-wing famous people who are going to signal her her virtue to her left-wing friends. But this is a, uh, it goes to something broader, and that's what I wanted to get to. So she's about to popularize her affirmation of LGBT folks. And that is also all coming at the same time where we have some other somewhat disturbing stories. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, from U.S. News & World Report, the headline is, Same-Sex Couple to be Featured on My Little Pony. So coming up here soon on My Little Pony, that this, this PB, I think it's a PBS cartoon, is going to have a set of two female ponies or two male ponies. Wait, what's up? As a pony... Absolute, a girl all the time. I don't know anything about horses. I'm not an equine scientist. But they're going to have their first same-sex couple to expose directly to children. That comes right on the heels of a culture where we're having more and more of these drag queen story hours where we expose kids to people who are either mentally ill or per- perverse in their as men who dress up as exaggerated women. This is all stuff for us to take a, take uh, take note of in a secularizing culture, in a paganizing culture, to probably p- protect our kids from. I mean, if Taylor Swift is going to be going this direction, she probably deserves at least less of our money and or none of it, and less of our attention or none of it, to now be careful and vigilant of what our kids are watching, to c- come up with good responses to these drag queen story hours. I saw one church who found a library that was having a drag queen story hour and part of what they uh, part of their response was well we're going to have a bible story study hour because you have you have accommodated this group you you now have to accommodate us and so they're going to respond in that way i think that's helpful and good and so uh there there's there's some opportunity here but it's something for us to take note of and you should know out there especially if you have kids or grandkids that's what Taylor Swift is doing now, and it's uh, it's definitely time to, to pay attention to it. We only have a couple of minutes left, so let me try to go quick on two other items. One is political. Uh, yeah, I need to speak, as I had a couple, I guess that was tweets, 
again, the, the president of the United States saying he would accept help from a foreign government in the next election. Yeah, that's morally horrible. That's terrible. There is no excuse for it. Uh, his personal standards of behavior have never exactly been all that high, uh, so I'm not surprised by it. But yeah, if some people seemed to like thought because I wasn't talking about it that I was condoning it. That was at least the impression I got from two people. No, I just don't pay attention to the guy anymore. I don't pay attention much to politics, as little as I can. Uh, but that's immoral, what he said, and it's uh, he, sh- he shouldn't have said it. Uh, if he would just tell you, if the economy stayed strong and he just went away, just stopped talking, he would walk away with the next election. If he loses it, it's because he'll cost it to himself by saying stupid, immoral things. Uh, but because the economy and all the other... Uh, the the tangibles of the the race are in his favor. Uh, he can just not say egregious things. And then final thing, it was brought up to me by somebody that there's a couple states, Alabama being one of them, that while they're doing the right thing on pro life legislation and saving the unborn, I f- I found that there is in Alabama a law that says unless a man is actually convicted of a rape, uh, he can't have his parental rights ended. Whereas in most states, like in South Carolina, the standard is called clear and convincing. So a judge can take clear and convincing evidence of a rape and say this man doesn't have rights to his kids anymore, where the the standard is higher in Alabama. And so uh, that is something we should probably work on in the pro-life world, that... Where a woman is claiming that her pregnancy came from rape, and our position is we that child can't be killed because of how the child was conceived, we also need to be making it uh, easier for that woman to find some relief if uh, it's so that she doesn't have to raise a kid with a rapist. That's a very rare situation, but it's one we should still be cognizant of and sensitive to. We have run out of time. Share the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'd be grateful if you would do that. Tell somebody about it. Go over to South Carolina Connections with Corey Truax from Palmetto Family Podcast Network for more uh, content. We'll be back with another new edition next week. Until then, peace and love.